Hello, and welcome to another edition of St. Pete's on Repeat, the online sermon archive of St. Peter Lutheran Church in St. Albert, Alberta, Canada. This sermon was preached on February 14th, 2021, for the Transfiguration of Our Lord, and is based on the second lesson for that day from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, beginning at chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. This is the word of our Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, back at the turn of the 16th century, famous Italian sculptor Michelangelo sculpted uh, a statue of Moses in all of his shining glory. It sits at the tomb of, of Pope Julius in Rome to this day, but it's maybe most famous not because it was sculpted by Michelangelo or it was commissioned for Pope Julius, but but because of what it shows on Moses' head. If you look really closely, you can see that just above his forehead are two horns sticking out of his hair. It's an interesting story, but it boils down to this. After spending 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of the Lord on the top of Mount Sinai, where he was receiving the Ten Commandments from God, when Moses came down that mountain, his face was radiant. It shined with the reflected glory of God. That's what Michelangelo was trying to capture in his sculpture. But how do you carve radiance? How do you sculpt shining glory? Michelangelo turned to scripture, and there he found that the Hebrew word used to describe the glory shining from Moses' face like rays of blinding light is the same word for horn. So to depict Moses in all his shining glory, Michelangelo gave him horns. That was more than 500 years ago. What I find terribly ironic about this sculpture is that for more than 500 years, Moses has sat there in Rome with horns on his head, when in reality, the moment that Michelangelo captured in marble was brief. 
It was temporary. His face didn't shine forever. That glory was transitory. It didn't last. A few days after coming down from Mount Sinai, the glory would fade away until Moses went back up to see God again. Now, that's all fine and good for Moses. When we read this story in Exodus chapter 34, we find out that he didn't even realize that his face was shining. But the people he was talking to sure did. And his appearance had a powerful effect on them. When they first saw him, they were terrified. They didn't want to come near him. And that makes sense, right? How would you react if you hadn't seen your leader, the guy who, who performed 10 miraculous plagues to, to free you from Egypt? You hadn't seen him for 40 days and 40 nights while he's standing in a, a blazing cloud on the top of Mount Sinai, and then he comes back down and his face is shining like the sun. I mean, think about all the other times in Scripture when, when people see an angel shining with the glory of God. What's the first thing they do? They hide. They cower. They're afraid. And what's the first thing the angel says to them? Do not be afraid. Have no fear. There's something scary about sinners standing in the presence of holiness. Now, this comparison hardly does it justice, but it's, it's kind of like when you go to an event. Do you remember those? You go to an event, but but you get the dress code wrong. Everyone else is wearing fancy clothes, ball gowns, tuxedos, and, and you're standing in the corner wearing flip-flops and a graphic tee. You feel so out of place. You feel so underdressed that you just want to slink out of the room unnoticed. Well, that's kind of what it's like to stand in the presence of holiness. It was uncomfortable for the people to look at Moses when his face shined with the reflected glory of God because it reminded them how unradiant and inglorious they looked. It made them painfully aware of how unworthy they were to stand in the presence of God, and that scared them. That's where Moses' veil comes in. Paul talks about it quite a bit in his letter to the Corinthians. Moses had a habit of putting a veil over his face when he would talk to the Israelites, but, but maybe not for the reason that you might think. He didn't cover his face to prevent the people from seeing the glory and being afraid. He wanted them to see that glory. And it was good for them to be afraid. Because what he came down the mountain to say, while his face was shining, wasn't his own message, it was the word of God. And so it was good and right for the people to stand in awe and to hold that word in holy reverence and fear. And it was a powerful way to communicate that God's glory and God's word go together. Moses didn't wear his veil to hide the glory, he wore that veil, as Paul says to the Corinthians, to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. That's what's so ironic about Michelangelo's sculpture. Moses was never meant to have a permanently shining face because the message he shared with the people, the law he brought down from Mount Sinai, 
wasn't the final word that God had to say. It was important. Those Ten Commandments are still God's will, but God has a greater, still more glorious message to share with you in Christ. The only problem is, like those Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai, we don't always like to see it. Or as Paul says to the Corinthians, but their minds were made dull, for, this, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. Like those Israelites who were unable to look at the face of Moses because of its glory, it's uncomfortable for sinners of any age to stand in the presence of the Holy God, especially when our hope is based on the law, like the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses. Let me put that in, in terms of everyday life. Let's say you get called to the carpet by your boss, your parent, your teacher, a friend, because of something you know all too well that you did wrong. It's hard to meet their eye, isn't it? You'd rather stare at the ground and hand them something to try to make up for it. Here's a gift to replace the one I broke. Here's a new client to soften the blow of the one I lost. We want to be able to do something to fix the situation. But nothing you do can ever erase the wrong you committed. And the person you wronged has every right to be angry at you. And that's uncomfortable. That's why to this day we crave the veil. That's why we'd rather have a buffer between us and God. That's why we love the law that God gave Moses so much. Because it gives us the impression, really the false hope, that there's something we can do to make up for what we've done. Since the time of Moses, people have clung to the Ten Commandments in the hope that if as long as I don't murder my neighbor in cold blood, then God won't be angry with me. As long as I don't rob a bank, God can overlook the, the little sins, the, the white lies, my momentary weakness and minor faults. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus takes the veil away. Then he shows us all his unveiled glory. Next to him, in all that blazing brightness, Peter, James, and John must have looked pretty drab. We all would have, because next to the holy glory of Jesus, our sin stands out in stark contrast. But the radiance of Jesus' glory on the Mount of Transfiguration is different than the terrifying glory that the Israelites saw in Mount Sinai because Jesus' glory shows us more than just our sin. It also shows us our salvation. It's funny, in his gospel, Mark uses a technical term to describe how white Jesus' clothes appeared when he had been transfigured. It's a, a term that refers to a launderer's soap. His point is that no dry cleaner on earth could get whiter clothes than what Jesus was wearing. I find that such a fitting description of Jesus' glory. Because there's no way on earth that we can replicate it. We can't wash our sins away, even with the strongest bleach on the planet, 
We can't clear our record with gallons of whiteout. But Jesus takes our scarlet sins and makes them white as snow. That's what makes Jesus' glory greater. And as it happens, that's exactly what Jesus and Moses were talking about on the day that Jesus was transfigured. Mark doesn't tell us in his gospel, but Luke does in his, that they were talking about the sacrifice that Jesus was about to make for our sins. Under Moses and the Old Covenant, every sin required sacrifice. Every wrong needed to be atoned for in blood. Actually, just about a week ago, we read a story in confirmation class about good King Hezekiah and how in a single day, the people of Judah sacrificed more than 3,000 animals for their sins. There weren't enough priests to slaughter all those animals. They had to deputize people from the crowd just to handle the volume. And that's in one day. The covenant God gave through Moses on Mount Sinai lasted 1,500 years. Imagine how many animals were sacrificed for sin. It'd be impossible to count them. Under Jesus and the new covenant, every sin still required sacrifice. Every wrong still needed to be atoned for in blood, just not the blood of beasts. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus was making his final preparations to sacrifice himself for our sin. Once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. That glorious, radiant, shining Son of God in all his splendor would willingly go to a cross and surrender his life for you. For drab, dirty, sinful you. That's what makes Jesus' glory greater. When we see him shining bright as the sun on the Mount of Transfiguration, he he doesn't make us afraid to be in his presence. He gives us the hope and confidence of Peter to say, it is good for us to be here. We don't want to slink away because we're unworthy. We want to pitch a tent and, and stay a while because we are loved. In this brief but beautiful scene, Jesus gives us the hope that Paul talked about in the very first verse of our our first lesson for today. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Jesus removes the veil from between us and God and lifts our chins so that our eyes can meet his without guilt or shame, but sins forgiven. He shines in all his godly glory, and through his glorious sacrifice for our sins, he is transforming us into his image with ever-increasing glory. Every day, we get to be reflections of his radiance to this world. You might not climb Mount Sinai like Moses did and come down with horns on your head or a face as bright as the sun, but every time you come to hear God's word, He shares his glory with you too. And you get to take that glory into the world every time you come here with battered and bruised hearts, burdened by sin and shame. God shares with you his message of salvation and revives you to go back out into the world again with that same message of hope for others. Even if you don't leave this place with horns on your head or a face as bright as the sun, 
I pray that the people in your lives can see the light of Christ on your face. May you be like an unveiled Moses, sharing a glorious message from God for this world of sins forgiven and the hope of heaven. God's glory and his word go together. God fill you with both until you see his unending glory in the halls of heaven. Amen.